You're listening to episode 49. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really... I am the number one student, so get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. David Smithawa here, your host. I am super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Miss Sarah Shaw. Sarah, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? I am. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Sarah is the CEO of Sarah Show Consulting, starting her career in the movie industry as the costume designer for Hollywood movies. She has gone on to build several businesses and sold millions of dollars worth of products, including the Sarah Shaw handbags, which got loads of press, loads of placement in big blockbuster movies. She's been on TV, sold over in 1,200 stores. Uh, and over 70 of the world's most famous celebrities have worn or carried her products. So, amazing story. Sarah is uh, a connector, a consistently connecting people with opportunities such as showrooms, celebrities, and PR. So, we're going to learn heaps from her story. I'm super excited to hear more about your story, Sarah. So, firstly, welcome to the show. But uh, before we dig in, maybe just take 30 seconds and tell us who is Sarah outside of business. <laughs> Good question. I am a single mom. I have almost nine-year-old identical twin girls, and they take a lot of my time. I try, their their life is really important to me. And I recently, in the last four years, left Los Angeles, where I'd lived for 27 years, and moved to a small mountain town in Colorado, where my brothers and their children, small children, live. And I really wanted to have a nice life for my kids and a place that felt safe and comfortable for them to grow up. Amazing, identical twins, nine years. <clears throat> that's that's great. How how is it? So they they look exactly the same and dress exactly the same all the time. Is it? <laughs> they they look. Most people think they look exactly the same, and to me, of course, they look totally different. Um, and no, they they don't really dress the same anymore. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, that's great. Well, talking about business, then Sarah, um, how long would you say you have been in full time business for yourself? Well, I started my first company actually in 1994, but I've been uh, full time self employed since 1998. Okay, fantastic. Well, congratulations on stepping out back then and uh, continuing on up to this day. Uh, what is it? That's almost what 18 years. Or my maths is my mental maths is pretty bad. Yeah, eighteen years. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing. And um, we'll we'll go back to your story and how the journey started for you. But um, tell us a little bit about where your core revenue streams or core revenue sources for your business 
uh, today? Where are they coming from? Yes. Yeah, so my, my one and only business actually right now is Sarah Shaw Consulting. And I work with entrepreneurs, helping them launch their product-based companies. Um, so usually in fashion, accessories, lifestyle, widgets, gadgets, you know, it doesn't really matter to me what the product is, as long as I find it interesting and see that it has legs and, you know, is something that is desired in the marketplace. And so I work with, um, with entrepreneurs, you know, usually for six months to a year, sometimes longer, um, in building their businesses. And that's how I, you know, support my children and myself. <laughs> okay, that's great. And when did you pivot into this um, consulting business? Uh, Full time in 2009. So been doing it for quite a while now. Yeah. Right. Now, let's dig back into your story. I've heard your story. I think it's an amazing story. Um, maybe just tell us how did the journey start for you as an entrepreneur? Did you go straight out of high school, out of uni, out of college? How did it work out for you? Well, when I first moved to Los Angeles, um, I at, right out of college, I started working in the film business doing costumes for movies. And it was I had studied that in college kind of on a fluke, actually. I was a French literature major and thought I was going to be a simultaneous translator at the UN. And I fell into costume design and really loved it and decided that that's what I wanted to do with my life. So I moved to Los Angeles right out of college and got a job um, in working in costumes. And I sort of thought that I would kind of live and die there. You know, I never had an entrepreneurial bone in my body. I mean, I think I had babysitting jobs up until then. And um, I do, I am a fourth generation entrepreneur. My entire family and everybody's always been entrepreneurs, but it just never, I don't know, it just didn't appeal to me, right? I just thought, oh, I'll just have a job and get my pension. And, and so um, I... I saw the need in 1994, my first business was actually a clothing company and we made clothes for movies. So it was, I had a business partner who was a fashion designer and manufacturer. And so I brought him the jobs and he made everything and we split the money. And it was actually a really interesting business because we got 50% up front from the movie company and then 50% upon delivery. So it was never, you know, when I look back on it now, it was kind of a money pushing business. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like really laying out time and money in hopes, you know, of making more money, you know, like most entrepreneurs. And so it was kind of an interesting start. And, um, and then I had uh, my second business where I bought wardrobe trailers with another partner and we rented those to the film business because being in costumes, we were always renting other people's wardrobe trailers, you know, the big trucks that they use and carry everything around when you're shooting on location. So that was my second business. <laughs> and then I started, I had an idea for this handbag in late 97 and I started making these bags and they were very unusual looking and very um, unique in that there wasn't anything like it on the market. And it really just started to take off and people really liked it. And I um, quickly got it into a, about 20 or 30 stores. And then Anthropology was interested in placing an order. And I, you know, they were a very popular store. And at that time only had 14 locations. And now I think they have over 70. But for me, that was kind of the pivotal point. And I was working both jobs. I was still doing my, my movie job. <laughs> and I had my other two businesses. And then I started the handbag company. Obviously, I was not a mother back then. And, um, and I, uh, in, in early 1998, I, I quit the film business and decided 
that with this big order from anthropology, to me, that was kind of the sort of the icing on the cake, you know, really the, the world telling me that I had a really interesting product and that people wanted to buy it. And so that's really what launched my entrepreneurial career and kind of led me down the path where I am now. Mm. So you spent four years kind of working um, as a costume designer while um, building your handbag business, or was that a longer period before you actually went for Hit 98? No, I actually, I actually started my handbag business in late 97, and about within six months, I quit the film business. I realized that I could actually really, you know, people really wanted them, and I was getting into more and more stores, and when anthropology placed that big order, that was kind of the clencher for me because they, they ordered 800 units. And so they were putting it in stores and cat in their catalog. And so for me, that was kind of the, you know, the alarm clock saying it's time to move on. It's know? time to do it. Now I want to talk about how you managed to get into anthropology, but before I do that, can you just help us understand what does a costume designer do in Hollywood? Um, so, so movies, you know, costumes speak, um, a thousand words essentially because it's the visual aspect of the movie and really having the correct costumes is what can help, you know, develop the character in, in the audience's eye. Right. Um, you know, if you're, if you're the, the queen of England and they're dressing you out of Walmart or something, it's not going to really be cohesive. Right. So you, you want to have the proper clothing, whether it's a futuristic movie or sci-fi or a period costume movie or even contemporary, right? Because there's people who are well-to-do in films, contemporary films, and then there's people who are really poor in movies. And so it's really important that their clothing and the way that they appear in the film reflects their character and, and the type of person that they are and the environment that they live in. So my, my job was working, I actually was a costume supervisor and my job was actually working just under the costume designers and I managed all the budgets and made sure that all the costumes were on the set when they were supposed to be and everything that was being built or manufactured was ready on time or if we had to rent costumes or buy clothing or, you know, create creatures or whatever was part of the movie, you know, dress all the stunt doubles and, you know, get 15 of some suit if it had to catch on fire. Um, you know, so all the different things that go into building a movie, you know, you don't really notice those things. I mean, they're supposed to be, you're not supposed to notice them. You know, when you're watching the movie, you're supposed to be caught up in the story and the clothing just kind of lends the, um, you know, let lends something additional to the character build. So that, that was my job. And I did that for 12 years and it's, you know, it sounds really glamorous to everybody and, oh, you worked in the movie business and rubbed elbows with all these big stars and, you know, and it's, and that part can be fun, but it's a really grueling business. I mean, you usually a minimum, you work a minimum of 12 hours a day and usually more like 14 to 17 hours a day. And they actually only, they only have to give you eight hours off. And so um, that's the union rules. And so, but you know, you might have to drive an hour home. So you might finish work at midnight, get home at one in the morning and you have to be back at work, you know, by eight because you got off at midnight. So it, it can, it's, <laughs> it, it can be a really grueling, grueling business, but also can be really fun and exciting. Okay. 
And what was the big lesson you learned from a business perspective in terms of how the movie industry runs as a business model? Oh, good. I was hoping you were going to ask me that. Um, so the thing that really, um, that I feel like I really took away from that was, was the tenacity, was my tenacity and, and my willing, you know, there's no way I'm ever giving up on anything because when you work in film, producers and people involved, you know, who are your bosses, they don't take no for an answer. And so it's, you know, you're, you might say, um, I can't give you this right this second, but I'm going to figure out how to get it for you, you know, and you might have 15 minutes to figure it out, or you might have 15 days, you know, it just depends on the situation. But they, you know, if you're in a situation on the set when they're actually rolling camera and you're filming something and the actors are there, you know, they don't want to wait for anything because every minute that they wait costs them money, right? They've got a whole crew sitting around getting paid by the hour, right? And so it, it's very costly. And so I think that, you know, that learning how to manage budgets early on was really helpful for me in developing my entrepreneurial career. But also, but mostly it was the not not wanting not not being willing to take no for an answer and really being able to troubleshoot and and work around the problem and figure out another way to do it it might not be the way you had originally anticipated or dreamed it to be or thought it to be but that there's always a solution if you're if you don't kind of shut down and that you keep your mind open so i think that was probably my biggest learning experience mhm give me a Give me an example that you vividly remember that kind of said, wow, you know, that was a tough one, but we might manage through it. Um, in my, in my movie career. <laughs> um, oh gosh, it was so long ago. Um, I mean, there were times where I worked on, um, a Nick Nolte movie and, um, and the, the producer constantly wanted, to be able to come onto our trailer and pick out outfits. <laughs> she didn't really like anything that the costume designer had put together and the costume designer sort of, you know, slunk off into the corner. And so myself and the other gentleman that was working with me dressing all the actors every day, we had to actually come up with all the outfits ourselves from whatever was on the trailer. And it was really scary, but it was actually a really good learning experience because I had to think on my feet. I mean, I, sometimes we'd be like, they'd say, okay, she's coming in in five minutes and she wants to see all the outfits for today. You know, we'd just be standing there like looking at each other screaming like, oh my God, you know, what are we going to put together? You know, what hasn't, what haven't they worn? You know, what, how are we, then, you know, you're constantly looking at the photos that you've already taken and the clothes that they've already worn in different scenes and seeing if it's, you know, can they wear it again? Is this the next day? Is this 10 days later? You know, so, cause movies aren't shot in order, right? You might shoot a scene where somebody arrives at home, you know, gets out of their car and walks in the front door. So, and then you might not shoot the interior of the house for two months. And so you have to take photos and be prepared, right? To, they have to walk through the door wearing the exact same thing that they got out of the car wearing. So, you know, so when you're all planned out and you've done your job correctly, like I had on every other movie I worked on, you know, you know that they're wearing that coat and jacket and scarf or whatever on day three, but then, you know, on day six, maybe they repeat the jacket and the coat, but what they have on underneath is different. And so when it's all laid out properly, it's not scary, but when you have to think on your feet 
and decide, you know, what you're going to do in less than five minutes. And, you know, it's going to be on this huge, gigantic screen and that there's, you know, 150 people standing out there on the set waiting for you to make a decision, (laughs) you know, and, and get these actors dressed. It can be really stressful. And, you know, but learning how to, you know, you kind of have, for me, it was like, okay, take a breath and really just trust myself, you know, and, and know that my intuition, you know, obviously I had to look at the records and see that I wasn't putting them in the same outfit two days in a row. But as long as you're mixing and matching and making things look different, most people don't notice, you know. And the other thing that I really took away from that is that you're the only person who knows how it's supposed to be, right? Whereas everybody else just sees the result. And so, And it kind of became useful for me when I was designing my handbags because occasionally something wouldn't come out exactly like 100% the way I wanted. It was 95% the way I wanted it. And everybody else, you know, in my office would say, oh, that's so cute or I love that bag or, you know, I want one when they're ready. And I would be thinking to myself, but it's not perfect. It's not perfect. And but nobody else knew that but me. And so when other, you know, sometimes I think you can be harder on yourself in those kind of situations and that, you know, that when you just can relax and say, yes, it's not a hundred percent the way I want it, but it's super close and nobody else is going to notice that you have to just decide that it's good enough, you know, and that you're willing to move forward with it. I love that. And uh, that's a great way to, to sum it all up. I think, you know, you're the only person who knows how it needs to be or how you've envisioned it, but sometimes you may not actually hit that final 100% mark, but you know, you can still ship, you can still launch and, uh, and the feedback can, can sometimes be great, but you know, you can beat yourself up too much and actually just scare yourself out of it. So, so if we, if we flip to your handbag business, um, how do you manage to get into um, anthropology and maybe just walk me through how you um, manufactured it, you know, those first couple of hundred, if you like, uh, from, you know, not knowing how to do it, but I'm assuming to actually being able to produce something and getting it into a store in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. So, you know, everybody, most people think that because I worked in the film business and especially in costumes that I just knew how to either make everything myself or just get it made, you know, snap your fingers and whip it up. But that wasn't really the case because I was in the union and we weren't allowed to sew. So there's sewers, you know, and and construction and pattern makers that are part of the union. And so we only were actually allowed to touch finished garments. And so when it came time, and I had a little bit of sewing practice in college, but believe me, I I don't really know how to follow a pattern or do anything like that. And so... um, So when I was first creating my bags, they're very simple, just straight lines, kind of, you know, cut, cut and sew a straight line, which I could do. And, um, and so I, my friend who I I had my clothing company with when we were making, still making clothes for movies, we had that business for about almost 10 years. Um, I just asked him, you know, because I had a connection in fashion and he looked at me and was like, I don't know how to make a handbag, but why don't you call these people you know, and maybe they can direct you. So it was kind of a game of telephone, you know, called one guy who I needed help with something he could do. And then I asked him for some referrals and it was sort of that kind of, um, pass it along is how I, how I did it. And I was, I was cutting and sewing things on my own at night and on the weekends on my dining room table to make the first samples. 
And, um, and so this same friend who I had my clothing business with, he was manufacturing clothes for anthropology at the time. And so he just asked for the name of the, he asked his buyer for the name of the handbag buyer. And so that's how I got her name and phone number. But, you know, he had nothing, there was really nothing anybody could do to help me get that order with anthropology. It was really a question of her liking my bags or not, you know, and I actually had to change the size for them and make a different size bag. And, and then once they approved that, then I could go into production on it. So it, it was kind of, it was, a, it was about a six month process to actually get from the time they were interested in it to actually get the order and, and then ship to them. So it didn't happen overnight, but, but once it, um, once it went into their catalog in the stores, I did have an ongoing relationship with them for years. Um, you know, and they ordered from me at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. And how, how, um, did you then go into, I guess, mass production from that point once you'd done the sample and you received the order? Yeah, so so I had a, a family that was sewing for me, <laughs> and I would I would drive the stuff out to their house at like nine o'clock at night so I could miss the traffic, and I would you know pick it up a week later at nine o'clock at night again, and um and then I then I started using another factory um, that had been sewing some of our clothes for the movie business, and because these products were so simple, these bags were not complicated and didn't have linings or anything, and so. Um, this factory started to sew for me as well. And um, that was much easier because they were bigger. They could do more at one time and they were in downtown in the fashion industry. And I had gotten a small office at that point. Um, I had a little 300 square foot office <laughs> where I stored everything and, you know, did the shipping in the hallway basically. And, um, and from there, you know, I got small orders to Nordstrom's and a lot of other boutiques, boutique type stores across the country. And I really just started calling people and, you know, getting, trying to get buyers on the phone. Cause I really had no idea what I was doing. You know, I didn't have anyone to ask. There was, I mean, there wasn't even Google back then. So there was Yahoo search <laughs> and, um, you know, most buyers weren't even on email. We had to call people and talk to them on the phone. And so I would just look in magazines and, you know, see which stores were credited with the clothing that was in the magazines, because back then it was, you could, the magazines always said where you could buy it, but it wasn't a website because nobody really had websites yet. And, you know, this was in 98, 99, 2000. And so um, stores certainly didn't have websites. And some, some designers did at that point. Um, but it was very, you know, it was very, the fashion industry was very slow to convert. That's very interesting. So you grew your market share, if you like, or you generated leads and um, finding the buyers just in an offline manner, really, and cold, cold calling pretty much, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, cold call, sometimes if I, I would mail them a printed catalog, you know, we did, I mean, I spent thousands a year on postage um, because also, you know, um, how to get in touch with the magazine editors was the same way. You know, none of them were on email and they, you had to call them and send them your, your line sheet or catalog through snail mail, you know, and I remember just nights, you know, setting the printer in the office to print all night long while we were gone, you know, and then coming in and then the next night, you know, getting in pizza and all of us, you know, in the office, you know, doing the, the old fashioned, you know, stamping and, 
putting everything, collating and stapling and putting the labels on and, you know, then the postage and, and, you know, and it took hours and it took, it was a lot of effort, you know, and then making all the follow-up phone calls after that. And so, you know, it's so funny because now, you know, obviously for the last 10 years or so, it's been, it's, I would say most store buyers probably didn't really get on email until about 10 or eight to 10 years ago. You know, not, I wouldn't say a hundred percent. I would, you know, now they all are, but you know, for me now working with clients, I'm like, you guys don't know how easy you have it. You know, you just put together a, you know, active campaign template or whatever, you know, MailChimp, whatever you're using. And you just can, you know, you can reach however many people you have on your list in a nanosecond, you know, and then it's look at the open rates and the click throughs and start calling those people. And, you know, and it really cuts down on the time obviously, and also the expense because you're not buying all the snail mail stamps and collating and, you know, doing all that stuff. So it's, it's a very different business format, which when I started, after I closed my handbag company and I started my next business, I used all those techniques that I'd learned. And plus the internet was really going, um, in 2006, obviously. And at that point, most buyers were on, uh, on email at that point. And so, you know, it was, I was, it, to me, it was so easy, you know, and I did really well with that business in the first couple of years. I had one product um, that I patented, a closet organizer in 2003, and I started selling it a lot, really. I mean, I started a, new, a whole new business in 2006. And in the first two years, I did half a million in sales, just myself with one part-time assistant because of the internet and the ease of contacting people. And so, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's when the determination is there and you really want to do it, it's not that hard. That's amazing. And how did you then um, shift your business going forward? Um, And how long did you run the, the handbag business for? So I had my Sarah Shaw handbags from 97 to 2002. Um, After nine 11, I lost my investors. Um, They just, had too many financial problems due to 9-11. So they ended up pulling out in early 2002. And I just couldn't, I couldn't manage on my own. I had brought in new investors and um, just with the state of the country and the way things were going, it just wasn't really going the way I wanted it to go. And I just thought, you know, bow out now. (laughs) So I ended up closing that at the end of 2002 and then launched my, and then patented the closet organizer the next year and kind of dabbled in doing some slight people started calling and asking me to do some consulting. And so I was consulting with some companies in Los Angeles and it was really fun. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just kind of helping them with stuff. It wasn't anything formal. And, and then I really started working on my handbag hanger business and finally decided in 2006 that I was just going to concentrate on that And that's really what led me into my consulting business because I had been so successful in those two years and I had been teaching some incubator programs for ladies who launch and teaching women to kind of in a quick four week kind of down and dirty program, how to get their idea off the ground. And I had, you know, 12 to 12 to 20 product based companies wanting to work with me each month. And it was really fun and I loved it. And it was actually the woman who was running the LA license for that suggested that I start doing consulting with people. 
And I said to her, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Who is ever going to pay me to teach them how to launch a business? <laughs> and she was like, uh, I think you might be the dum-dum here. <laughs> and she said, you know, life coaching, if you haven't noticed, is becoming like the biggest rage. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. I mean, I was so out of it. You know, I was so into my own business and what I was doing and um, that I just didn't really bother to look to look around and see what was happening around me. And, and I kind of started to investigate that. And, um, and then I actually hired a business coach for six months um, to teach me how to launch a service-based company because I didn't know what to do. I was like, don't you just throw up a website and say, hey, I can help you. And she was like, uh, no. Um, so I, um, I worked with her for six months and, um, and then I launched, I launched my business about halfway through that. After maybe after about two and a half months. Right. So I want to touch on the your closet organizer. And uh, so, what was that business um, you were saying? Is it just organized handbags? Yeah, it's a. It was a little. It was a fa- a fabric strip essentially with a grommet at the top, and it has has seven loops and snaps that you can hang it. It can, we had a an over the door hook manufactured to fit the grommet, and so it came as a set with the hook and the, and the handbag hanger and it would hang in your closet or over the door and it would organize, um, up seven to 14 bags hanging. So you could, you know, free up your shelf space or floor or whatever, wherever you hung your bags or stored them. Mm-hmm. And how did you market that out? Same strategy as before? Yeah. Same strategy. Got it to celebrities, um, pitched it to the media. Um, I had a really big mailing list from my handbag company. I had over 7,000 online shoppers. And we we had done a lot of um, Yahoo advertising words in the last two years of my handbag company. We'd hired someone to do that for us. And so by the end of 2001, I would say, even even during nine, after 9-11, we were doing about twenty-five or thirty thousand a month on our website, and um, and so I had a you know a very big list of loyal followers, and so once when I launched my handbag hanger company, which was called Simply Sarah, so I wasn't really allowed to use my name anymore. I shouldn't say really. I was not. I didn't own the trademark to my own name anymore because I lost that with my first company. So I called my company Simply Sarah. And I, um, I basically, you know, leveraged my, my online shoppers, you know, in the beginning. And then, and then we just built out, we were selling to about maybe 400 stores um, and some overseas distributors. And so that wasn't as successful as you intended it? Is that why you kind of wound that down or did you sell out of that? What happened? Uh, no, I had that business for almost 10 years. Um, I think I finally decided to close it in 2013. I just wasn't, you know, 10 years with one product (laughs) is a long time. Um, And, you know, even though we sold it in, you know, about 24 different prints, you know, it it just kind of ran its course. I I licensed it to a big company for about five years. And um, so they sold it into about 4,000 stores plus the container store chain. And I'm at, you know, after a while, I just got bored you know, and, and so for me, you know, having a product-based business is really about the passion and the desire to make whatever it is that you're making, you know, and if you don't feel that, oh my God, I can't wait to get out of bed and do it again today, 
you know, that there's really nothing behind the business anymore. And I, I didn't have any other big ideas, you know, at that point. And I was really enjoying the consulting and, and teaching those classes that I was teaching. And I was just kind of feeling like, you know, here we go. <laughs> it's just time to time for a change. And I kept the online business for many years. And, you know, I, and it was easy because I had a warehouse that shipped for me. And so through the whole API system, I didn't have to do anything. You know, I just um, sent out a few emails a week, you know, type of thing, one to stores and one to online shoppers. And it just kind of kept going on its own. And, you know, and I, and I realized after a while when I was bored and wasn't really interested in finding any new wholesale shops or anything like that, that it was, it didn't really cost me very much to just keep it, you know, to let stores reorder and let the online shoppers come and go as they wished. So I did that for probably three or four years and then maybe three years. And then I just thought, this is silly. I may as well just close everything out. So I closed out a lot to TJ Maxx. They've always been really good to me and, you know, always take a lot of my stuff. <laughs> and, um, and then I donated the rest of it, what was left to dress for success, which is a company, you know, in America that helps women in need get back in the workforce. Okay. So, so let me now shift to what you're now doing in consulting. Um, so essentially helping people who've got product ideas, physical product ideas, and they want to get them out into, into a similar uh, space that you've played in before. What, what, um, and maybe to help us out here, maybe I would love for you to pick a, a story um, that maybe a recent one um, that, you've, that you've coached somebody through from the beginning to, to where they're at now, and maybe that can help us understand the thinking required and some of the opportunities that are out there that you're helping clients with. So... Um, so one of the, one of the reasons that, or I should say a few several of the reasons that people want to work with me is often because they have already figured out how to manufacture the product. You know, it's not that hard in this day and age to actually get it manufactured on your own, but then you end up with a garage full of the product, you know, and don't know how to sell or market it. So that's usually why people come to work with me and, and what I do with them. And so um, a, a typical client, you know, we, we, most people come to me and don't have a pop-up on their site to collect email addresses. So we, you know, we get things like that going for them. Um, then they want to get products. One of the ways to get products into magazines is to get your products to celebrities. And so that was one of the ways that I really built my handbag business and doubled it from half a million to a million in sales. And, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, a million in sales, that's not even that much. But, you know, back in 1999, that was a lot more money, <laughs> you know, and, um, in 2000, 2001. And so we, um, so that's one of the things that I work on a lot with clients is picking out the right celebrities, you know, to, to use or wear their product, depending on what it is. Um, and then once they get the products to celebrities is pitching pitching that to magazines, because a lot of magazines, it doesn't have to just be, you know, the people magazines or in touch or whatever. It can also be, you know, Elle or Vogue or Real Simple Magazine or Martha Stewart, because it just speaks to your credibility. Um, so recently, uh, I have a client who um, has a, a calculator. So she's one of my widget gadget clients. And she has a calculator for baby boomers that helps them see 
and see it light up a menu and look through a magnifying glass so they can read the fine print in the dark and, or a dimly lit restaurant. And so we, she's uh, got her products to maybe about 15 celebrities so far. And, um, you know, people like Betty White and Julianne Moore and people over 50 <laughs> and who, who wear glasses. And, um, and then Real Simple recently picked picked her up to put in their magazine. And I, you know, we're assuming that it's based on the fact that she has these celebrities because that was the email that they responded to. Um, and so, you know, so when Real Simple comes out, I'm sure she'll get sales from that. Um, and, you know, magazines can be fickle. You know, sometimes you can make a lot of money uh, on a magazine placement and other times you get nothing, you know, so it's, it's really the luck of the draw. And, and how do you get, how do you get, um, celebrities in, in this day and age? Cause I'm sure they're being bombarded every single day with such requests, right? Yeah. So we work with their publicists and managers. And, um, if we have an interesting product, we really find a way to connect with them, like why they would like it. Like, you know, obviously with her particular product, you know, she could, and sending it to Betty White or Madonna or somebody, you know, who she can read articles about saying that they wear glasses or have had trouble seeing or you know, make some kind of comment about their eyesight. Then she can reference the article. Um, we, you know, can either, you know, talk about um, something specific that relates to the celebrity. And, um, you know, another client who has travel, she has a travel product that hooks on your suitcase. And so, you know, sometimes it'll be, oh, well, we, you know, sending it to somebody who travels with their children all the time, for example, and doesn't have an extra hand to carry the extra bags and just wants to strap it onto their little carry-on. And so we can say, you know, we've seen photos of you going through the airport because <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of paparazzi at the airport. And, um, you know, and you can relate to the celebrity in a specific way. And usually the, the people that we write to, you know, will say, oh, yeah, that sounds really cool. Go ahead and send it here and we'll get it to them. Is it, it sounds very simple. And it sounds like, you know, the way you would approach, you know, the way I approach people for this podcast, like yourself, you know, I, I find out where you've been before in terms of shows. And I talk about that and I, and I invite you to come and have a chat with me and sure showcase your story to the business owner's family and I try to make sure it fits into you understand that I'm not just spamming but it all sounds very simple but I'm just thinking you know how do I find Madonna like it's like hard right yeah well we, we there's a website that we use um that has a database that we pay for and we we can get all their contact information there and and then it's really I think it's mostly about the method of crafting the letter um and you know, and kind of what you, you know, how much thought you put into it. Um, you know, like, let's say if you have a, let's say you have a baby blanket company or something and you, you know, you might start Googling all the celebrities that have new babies or babies under one years old or something. And you can compile a list of names pretty quickly through Google search. And then it's just a question of finding, you know, using the database and, and, and getting all the contact information and then being persistent in writing the letters. You know, it's most people I find are either, you know, they write the letter and then they just sit back and wait, you know, and obviously that letter is not the most important thing in the person's inbox, right? So 
it's really a matter of persistence and staying on top of it, you know, and, and being, you know, remembering to follow up and sending thank you notes and offering, maybe offering the assistant one, one of the products as well. Um, you know, if it's something that you can afford, you know, that's not too expensive cost wise and you can afford to offer it out. It just depends on, you know, the celebrity status. Um, and, you know, like my client with the travel item, the first person she reached out to was Demi Moore and her people were like, yeah, this sounds great. Send it over. And, you know, she texted me and was like, oh my God, you know, like, that was so easy, you know, and then, and then there's other people who aren't as easy, you know, and it takes a lot of persistence and writing to them multiple times. And, you know, that's part of one of the part of my coaching service that we offer as well as contacting them. So, and so, so what do you do? Do you then stalk them until if you see them dragging their bags around with your thing and then you take a picture? Well, often, um, if they're out wearing it, they'll eventually get photographed with it. So, you know, and then there's things like when I had my, when I, obviously when I had my closet organizer, nobody was going to be out on the street wearing that. And, you know, we were just lucky that a lot of magazines wrote about it anyway, you know, because we, you know, either had the letter, right, saying that the person has it. So you can always show an editor to prove, you know, that the person has it, um, the letter from their assistant. And, um, and so that, that's another way that we, you know, if we need to show proof that the person has it, but it's obviously something they're not going to be wearing, you know, I mean, cause I have clients that make tea and, you know, other kind of organizer devices or face cream or things that obviously they can't be photographed wearing out in the street. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so what niche are you focusing on, Sarah? Um, I would say probably getting products to celebrities is my, is my main niche and why people come to me, you know, and what separate. And, and any specific products? Is it just ladies type products or guy products as well? M- m- most of them. I mean, I do work with, with, I work with some men, you know, I, I've been working with a solar company that makes solar lights. And those are, that's run by two men. Um, and I've worked with a coffee company that's run by a man. So, you know, occasionally men will come and find me and I, you know, I love working with them as well. Um, but, but my, I would say my strongest expertise is probably in the fashion accessory lifestyle world, you know, baby products as well. Yeah. What, what would you say has been uh, your biggest breakthrough moment in, in your consulting business in terms of growth or has it just been kind of compounding year on year? I'd say it's probably compound compounds year after year. I mean, a few years ago I started, I started creating a lot of DIY programs. And so I'm really proud of a couple of my video DIY programs that do really well. You know, people who can't afford to work with me privately or, you know, just prefer to learn on their own. Um, Because I have a celebrity program that people can buy. It's a DIY if they don't want to work with me. And and then another one on how to um, do email marketing and how to really get your website set up for e-commerce. And that one's really popular as well because it, it t- really, they take you step by step and give you all the documents and email templates. And, you know, with the celebrity program, we give you all the letter templates and tell you exactly what to say on each day of the progress of the process. So there's really nothing left to wonder, you know, it's very, what, what excites you most about what you're doing today? Um, I just love um, solving people's problems. <laughs> I think that's one of the things I'm really good at. 
And, and I really have the ability, especially with product-based companies because of all the experience I've had to see into the future, you know, and I can really help them um, deter and avoid really big disasters, you know, or just even small little potential problems because, because I have been there and done that. I'm able to kind of see into the future for them a little bit and, and really kind of change the course of their business a little bit more rapidly than they'd be able to do it on their own. I want to shift to talk about fear of failure. I think it holds a lot of people away from, from entrepreneurship. It seems you've, you've been able to plunge into different activities, different business models um, over the, the last sort of 20, year, 20 years or more. Um, how has that played a part in, in your, especially when you launched Sarah Consulting? Was there a moment where you, you really felt you couldn't do it? And how did you come out of that? <laughs> well, I think having fear of failure is kind of a healthy mentality for an entrepreneur, um, you know, and not getting too cocky and, you know, self, self-assured, you know, because I, I always... I always, I know every day that my business could disappear overnight, you know, and, and there's, of course, you know, times where you are, things aren't going quite as quickly with a client or progressing as fast as they, they might want it, but you know, you know, that it's going really well. And you're like, Oh God, is today going to be the day that they tell me that they don't think we should keep working together, you know? So, you know, or, or, you know, or I've helped pitch something really big and I'm just worried that, you know, the answer is going to be no or you know, something and that, how am I going to tell them? And they're going to be so disappointed and I'm disappointed. But I think that, that having a a healthy connection to fear of failure is what really keeps me going. And and really, I think keeps many entrepreneurs going and, you know, and that thinking about, you know, what would you do or how, you know, what should you do today to further your business? You know, what is it that, your followers and people who look up to you or buy your products or whatever the situation is, what is it that they need from you today? You know, is it a sweet email just saying, you know, go for it, you can do it, you know, or, you know, a 50% offer, you know, you know, sale or something. But, but that really, you know, knowing that, if you keep at it and that you're really positive about what you're doing and that you keep looking to the future and don't just keep banging your head against the wall with something that isn't working, but it kind of going back to what we were talking about, what I learned in the film business was really trying to figure out another way to do something, even if it's the same thing, you know, you're not saying that you have to invent something new, but you know, if your emails aren't working and getting people to buy something. Well, what is it that you're saying? Is it your subject line? Is it the offer? Is it the way you speak? You know, have people look at it, you know, get other people involved. Ask, you know, don't ask your family necessarily (laughs) because they always have a different uh, response than other people. But, you know, asking friends and, you know, going to find a mentor. So on on that point, um, you said you you hired a business coach and a mentor, I guess, uh, to, to launch your consulting business, what was the one thing that made all the difference for you from what they were teaching you? Well, everything, because I knew nothing about it. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I think for, really it was, she helped me, she helped show me how to build um, a coaching a coaching offer. You know, like what what is it that she really dived in and helped me look at what it was that my customer needed from me 
you know, what was, what was, you know, like what were the top 10 things that I could teach them that they, that they really couldn't find on their own by Googling, you know, more, you know, less than like five hours of Googling for the topic type of thing. So what was, how was I going to make that difference and shortcut their learning process for them? And so she really, you know, really, I was like, well, it's everything, you know, and she's like, well, it can't be all like 700 things they need to do, like come up with the top 10 and then flush those out, you know, and she also did a challenge with us and we had, I started working with her in October and she asked us how much money we wanted to make by the end of the year. So we're, we're talking, you know, it was like middle of October and I had to decide how much I was going to make by the, by December 31st. And I hadn't made a dime yet in this business, you know? And so I just was like, I don't know, $50,000. Cause she said we had to think big, you know? So I was like, oh my God, if I can make $50,000 in the next two and a half months, that'd be pretty impressive. I'll be impressed with myself. And so, you know, the, she really taught us, you know, how to reach out to every person we knew and, you know, ask everybody to help and pass the, you know, pass the word along, re, re, repost your Facebook or retweet your thing or whatever, you know, pass it, send it to their mailing list or, you know, send you the name of five friends or whatever it was that we were doing. And I did end up selling $45,000 by December 31st. And, um, you know, and I got my first clients and I think my program was maybe $5,000 or something at the time. And so I had, you know, nine clients and I did, <laughs> and I honestly really did. I mean, I knew what I was doing because I knew what I was teaching them, but I, I hadn't really perfected the process or, you know, I didn't really have a process actually at that point. But it, again, it didn't matter. It was just one of those, like, don't be afraid and just do it because what you know, what you're delivering is good material and it's, you know, again, if it's not perfect, I, um, I had a, a, like a 10 week coaching program and I was just basically teaching them what I teach now. It was just packaged a little differently and I didn't offer all the services I offer now, you know, like we, we offer email, we write all their emails for them and do their social media. And, you know, so we have a lot of different services that we have added over the years and, you know, and I have a team working for me now and who, you know, it was just me before in the beginning. That's amazing. So you, you started with one thing, you focused in on that and you pushed that to your limit, I guess, at the launch then hit your 50K target almost. And then you were like, okay, now I can divert into into other modules and add more things. I, I guess this is what some of your, your clients were asking for. So that's that's great. Now we, we come into the top of the hour. So I want us to quickly just run through a couple more questions and then now bring it to a close. Um, <clears throat> I want to understand a little bit about your philosophies and how you operate. So, so just share with me quickly a couple of answers here. How do you rank the following, if at all? Faith, fun, family, finances, friendships. Um, to me, family and friendships are the most important thing because I think they're, for me, what fuels the fire of life. And if you don't have those, I think it's becomes really lonely and hard to move forward in all the other aspects and, and especially in your business. Mm, amazing. That's great. Um, what about giving us a quick look into what a day in your life looked like when you started, um, Sarah Shaw consulting versus a day in your life today? Um, well, I think I'm much more focused today. I mean, I think when I first started, I was kind of scrambling a little bit to, 
to keep um, finding new clients and kind of thinking, okay, well, I've, I've done this 10, 10 week program already, you know, and I don't have anything else to offer. And, um, you know, having to kind of look at the material that I had and see how I could repackage it. Whereas now it's mostly everything's pretty much repackaged. And I concentrate a lot on my own podcast that I have and which I've only launched a couple months ago and, and really looking at the people that I want to interview and, and what an impact they can make on my clients' lives and people who listen to my podcast and, and, and really looking at being able to kind of keep my mind clear because I don't have any other businesses of my own now, just for a couple of years now, and really being able to focus full time on looking at my clients' businesses and how I can come up with unique ideas for them and, and things to really catapult their business in a different way. So, so very quickly, it's early morning um, on a normal Monday week or Wednesday. I don't know. What, what, what does a day look like? <laughs> um, I, depending on the day, I have several. I usually do coaching calls on two days a week, one morning and one afternoon. And I talk to my clients every other week. So I kind of you know, build my schedule that way. I spend a lot of time um, on the emails with my clients. Most of my consulting is done by email with them, coming up with promotional ideas for them. I'm updating their documents that my team works on, whether it's social media promotion or their email promotions, looking at holidays that are coming up and reminding them, you know, we need to know what your, here's some options for, you know, let's say Valentine's Day and we need your coupon codes and you know, what your offer is going to be. And then we, we get all those emails. My team gets those emails set up and I review them. Um, you know, I'm constantly emailing and looking for, for podcast inter- you know, people who I want to interview following up on that kind of stuff. So I spend a lot of the day at the computer and kind of doing all that. Where's, um, where's your team based? Um, I've got somebody in Pakistan and somebody in Sri Lanka and somebody in, and somebody and my IT guy is in Oregon. <laughs> Oregon and me. Uh-huh, uh-huh, amazing. Um, I would normally ask, do you invest in mentors? But we've talked about that. And obviously that's how you propelled your business at the launch. So, so, so that's great. And, and anybody who's listening from our business owners family here, it's, it's important to find mentors as well. But I, but I have taken other programs over the years. I've worked with Frank Kern and Digital Marketer, um, taken taken their online programs over the over the years. Just because I I had to learn certain techniques that I didn't, you know, that weren't just weren't around when I had my own businesses. So in order to stay up on top of everything that's going on, I have I do take classes from time to time, and and I also have other people that I've spoken to in my lifetime or just met who I can, you know, call for a quick mentor fix when I need one. What best two books would you um, um, recommend as great reads for entrepreneurs? Um, I actually really like Raising the Bar, um, which is about the building of the Cliff Bar Company. Um, I think they're really interesting. Um, And I also really like the book Hustle that just came out, the Neil Patel book. Um, I, I think that that has a lot, a lot to offer in the 
how to get your tushy moving <laughs> and and how how much you actually really have to work in order to make your business be a success. What is the best way for people to connect with you and uh, and tell us a little bit about how we can find your podcast? Yeah, so you can find everything at sarahshawconsulting.com. I've got a link to my podcast there. Um, which is called Get a Street Smart MBA. It's also, there's a link there to direct you to, to iTunes where you can listen. Um, and I, if you get on my mailing list, um, which is a pop-up on my site, we give you the introductory um, letters to start contacting celebrities. And, um, and if you're on my list, I often send out, uh, when I, usually when I send out a notice about the podcast, um, we have on there, if you leave a review on iTunes and send us a screenshot, I'll give you three free months to my group coaching program, which meets twice a month on the phone. You can ask me any questions. I can help you with your business. So it's a really good trade. So if you, if you do listen to something and like it, um, please feel free to participate in that. And you can find me on Facebook at Sarah Shaw Consulting and on Twitter at Ask Sarah Shaw. Hey, we, we've run out of time, but uh, I've just got one quick question for you. Um, but I wanted to really acknowledge you for everything that you've done in the marketplace for really shifting out of your, your original career and then finding that zone where you're helping people you know, get their, their products into, into people's hands and really giving them a different strategy that is not very common in the marketplace, you know, via celebrities, via magazines, and via being recognized um, through those brands. So, and thank you for coming on this show, especially at this time of the year, which is, you know, kind of Christmas period. So thank you for having me. Look forward to talking to you again. Yeah. Now for the last question, when all is said and done, do you think about legacy and do you want to, um, what do you want to leave and be remembered for and tell us why? I think for me, my biggest legacy is being able to show my kids that you can do whatever you want in life. And, and that I don't really know if I'll leave a legacy with my business or not. And that doesn't really feel that important to me. For me, it's more about making, helping my kids become amazing people and having, having them learn that nothing, that nothing is impossible. And it kind of, it goes both ways. You know, I want my clients to know that too, that everything is possible. And if you really put your mind to it, and, you know, are willing to dig and ask for help and find the right people, you know, and I might not be the right person for them. We might need to, you know, call, you know, the whoever their Gandhi is, right, and, and ask for help or whatever. And, and that I think that it's the persistence and the tenacity that really helps people create any kind of legacy in their life in any aspect. Mm, I love that. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me and Sarah here on uh, the Business Journals podcast. And my prayer for you is that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to live your dreams and that you can do whatever you want in life and become amazing and that nothing is impossible in the words of Sarah. And remember to head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes. Just type in Sarah in the search bar and all the show notes will pop up. To connect with Sarah, you can find her at Sarah Shaw consulting.com reach out on the podcast there and um, you know leave a great iTunes review and um, see if you can jump into that group coaching call for three months I think that's a fantastic deal um, Sarah thank you so much for being here on the business journals podcast there and for sharing your story with us we're absolutely grateful you are a true business general thanks David Hey, what's up, Business Journalist family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journalist podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. 
connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.